Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFi podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. Hello, and welcome to the MicroBinFi podcast. Today, we are talking about systematics, specifically SEC code, nomenclature code for prokaryotes described from sequence data. Joining us to talk about it are co-authors on the recent publication, Marika Palmer and Miguel Rodriguez. Marika Palmer is a postdoctoral researcher in the School of Life Sciences at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And Miguel Rodriguez is an assistant professor of bioinformatics at the University of Innsbruck in the departments of microbiology and the Digital Science Center. Let's talk, let's do something simple then. Like who are the major people behind C code? Who's driving it? Obviously you two are, are, are involved, but who else are involved in the process and perhaps what's the governance like involved with this? So I would say that I, I mean, I. I think everyone on the initial C-code steering committee, so the, the team that started off with actually putting the C-code together, would very much agree that we would want this to be a community-driven initiative, ultimately. But it there's been like a decade, almost, of papers on saying that we need to make an effort to try and accommodate the uncultivated organisms in a specific nomenclature. So there needs to be some rules for the naming of uncultivated organisms. And that has been going on for maybe almost a decade. But ultimately, Brian Hedlund and Anna-Louise Reisenbach were the first, as far as I know, from the team to actually obtain funding for trying to relay a path forward for prokaryotic taxonomy and nomenclature specifically. And that is where the roadmap paper in Nature Microbiology came from to say that we either need to change the current code of nomenclature for prokaryotes, so the ICNB, to actually allow the use of genomic material or genomic DNA as nomenclature type, so, so actual sequence data, or in some cases there has been arguments for actual DNA in a freezer somewhere, but arguments for using sequence data as nomenclatural types, or as has been proposed before by several people of who Costas, Constantinidis, and Ramon Salamora were very vocal on the need for an alternative or parallel code of nomenclature then to accommodate the uncultivated if we were in a position to not change the ICMP. And that's basically the two parts as plan A or plan B, path A, path B, as was laid out in the roadmap paper in 2020. Ultimately, the steering committee, I think for the C code, I think various conversations during the the workshops and then the different 
parts of putting the roadmap paper together by Alice and Marie. There were various points of discussion, probably between Miguel and Costas, and probably between me and Brian, where and and Barney Whitman. So a couple of us probably had various discussions and ending up with who volunteered to actually start putting the C code together. So I think we're a reasonably diverse group of individuals who ended up from with with really ecologists, microbial ecologists, all the way through to traditional taxonomists who ended up working together on putting the C code together. But ultimately, we would like to have this community driven. And for that reason, the governance structures has been made public and anyone interested in joining the secret community that has already done so we're actually in the process of voting for the different officer positions within the the governance structures yeah so we had for the governance itself we had a long process of discussion with the community on what the governance should look like we had a we had a longer a long conversation publicly available under in, in Slack channel for, on, on how this, this should look like. And we finally came up with a structure where we divide a, 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 an executive board and then a series of committees and working groups. Some of these positions are elected by ballot, where all the members of the seed code community can vote. And if you're interested in joining the Seek Code community, simply go to seekcode.de slash join and, and join the community as a, as a voting member. We had a, we had a voting, we had a ballot voting already back in December for the elect positions. And then some of the other positions are not elected by the community, but instead by the members of the committees which are the positions of co-opted members and we're in the process of of bringing these committees now to life some of some of these positions were filled indeed by members of the steering committee and the founding members of the steering committee even but some some other positions were filled by members of the community that were not part of the process but that they are but that have been actively engaged and want to participate now and we hope that going forward Every year we have more and more members of the community and ideally fewer and fewer members of the steering committee being part of the governance structure. With that, I mean, I want to ask more about where C-Code and the committee sits into the wider field in general. So, I mean, the first thing you do when you go to the website is you notice the, you notice in the top corner that ISMI is there in the background. So what is ISMI? Where does that, that, that's like a separate society that is backing this, right? So it's not, so what's the relationship between ISMI, the journal, the society, but with, with C code? ISME has been very uh, generously providing support as an umbrella organization for the, for the C code. They are, they were, they have been, for example, the hosts of, the, of our ballot voting back in December, and they have been providing a platform to support the, the development of the SIG code. The, there is really no, there is no obligation of the SIG code towards ISME. So for example, if you want to be a member of the SIG code community, 
you don't necessarily need to be a member of the ISME. So it has been a, it has been serving as an umbrella organization. They they host, of course, the Secode Initiative website where we have our news and other outlets, but it has served as the springboard for the development of the initiative itself. And also because a lot of people who are interested in using the C code falls within the microbial ecology community. It was kind of like a natural, a natural point to jump off of is that International Society for Microbial Ecology. So ISMI serves as a as a kind of a natural host point for the C code. Right. Back back in back in the symposium, in the ISME symposium, for example, in Lausanne in Switzerland last year, we had we had a, quite a lot of space and time to discuss with the community of microbial ecologists how this should look like. And we had an open roundtable discussion, for example. So these, these are the spaces and the persons that we are, that we have been very generously offered from the ISME society. Then in terms of your question on journals. I think Miguel did mention it perhaps already, but ultimately the C code was written to allow any form of peer-reviewed publication. So your manuscript in any journal would be able to be used as an effective publication for your registry in the C code registry itself and ultimately validation of the names if they actually the genomes are of good enough good enough quality to actually pass all of the QC criteria. So there isn't a specific journal association with the C code as such. We have designed three paths of validation in the C code. And so there is a there is a first path which is currently our preferred path through which authors submit their proposed names to the C code registry and work with our curator team to propose as high quality as possible descriptions and names and etymology and salivification and so on while they are preparing their manuscript. So in parallel to their manuscript, the preparation. Uh, There is a second path, which is a posteriori. Once the manuscript is already out, then they just notify the C code. But we have prepared a third potential path which is working together with partner journals. And we, we hope that, for example, the, the both ISME journal and the ISME communications journal might, might be part of this journal partnership in which we have a more streamlined parallel revision of nomenclature as, this, as the peer review of the rest of the ecology or genomics or whatever it is, the biology behind the paper is. But yeah, that's... that's hopefully a future path where we would have that integrated system of nomenclature review and manuscript review simultaneously occurring through a single system. But we're not there yet. That sounds very good. I wanted to ask a difficult question about competitor efforts. It's, it is a mixed... It's interesting to look at the author list, for instance, Donovan Parks, who's associate on the... And Phil Hugenholz on the GDDB side is like as one of the co-authors as well. And in the same paper, you've got Ian Suckliffe, who's actually the chair of the, of the actual traditional committee for naming prokaryotes, <laughs> this ICMP. So it, it seems like a very, it seems like a group of people who should actually be arguing with each other have come together to, to come up with this. But I was curious on your thoughts around that and 
if there's actually any genuine competitor effort beyond this group of people involved. Yes, so there is a, as, as you mentioned, there is a large contingent of people actually working with the ICNP, right? Several people on the ICSP and the Judicial Commission, well, that were on the Judicial Commission of the ICNP on the right, seat. So, so, so we have Ian, Ian Sutcliffe, we also have Ramon Rosalomora and Costas Constantinidis. Fainter. And yeah, so, there's... so there is quite a large consensus in the community as we gather that, that this is something necessary. Of course, the devil's in the details, right? Not everybody agrees on the any one process goes, but there is quite a large consensus that there, that it, there is a necessity to start regulating names for uncultivating, uncultivated prokaryotic taxa. And you, you mentioned the word competitors. So the way, I, the way I see it, there are three, three ways an author can go when dealing with a novel taxon. The first, the first way is trying to culture, produce a culture representative, submit it to two different collections, and then trying to name it under the ICMP. We, in fact, hope that people will continue doing these this efforts and the way I personally see it, and here I don't speak for all of the stick code, but I personally believe that most scientists culture prokaryotes because that is necessary to do physiology experiments and a series to, to advance our knowledge on those organisms, not exclusively to name them. That's really not the, the, the big reward that some people believe, believe it to be. There is a second option, which is doing producing a very high quality genome, a well annotated genome and going through the description using the SIG code. So I guess in some way that could be seen as a competitive process, right? The, the authors have to decide between one or the other, but we have written the SIG code in a way that is as compatible as possible with the ICSP such that there won't be any clashes between the, the codes and they can happily coexist and why not hopefully at some point merge back into a single system, which was our hope all the way through with the what was called the plan A, which was accepting genome as type material, genomes as type material in the ICMP. And of course, there is a third option, which is just not caring about validation or like that, yeah, right? You can for example, give an alphanumeric name such as OP9 or SAR11, and you or you can use the concept of Eidos candidatus names, which are unregulated. In principle, you could call something candidate, and that's fine. We 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 hope by by lowering the entry point, by lowering the requirements, no, by democratizing the process of naming and the by providing the user, the, the authors with the tools to simplify the process of naming and the process of etymology and description and all of this in the implementation of the C code registry, we hope that more authors will opt out of that third path and, and instead try to validly and correctly publish names. And as, as Miguel said, obviously we would still be highly supportive of cultivation efforts. And I think virtually everyone 
that's, that was initially part of the Seacode Steering Committee and probably most people that's part of the governance structures would actually prefer a merger between the two systems at some point in the future. And that's why we aimed for trying to keep that compatibility between the codes as far as we could. Okay, so it's sounding less like complete, it, it sounds less like competition and more like a, a, a fork of, of a code base and you're off doing your own thing with C code and hoping to merge it back at some point. Would that be a correct assessment? Yes, I think thinking of it as a parallel parallel route as opposed to a competitive route is hopefully... Yeah. Of course, the longer the, the branch goes, the harder the pull request, but... <laughs> yeah, but that, well, that's sort of how it goes, but yeah. I hope but you can't, but, but it seems clear based off your, our discussion earlier that there must be a fork to, 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 to support from sequence data from uncultured. And so just has, that's just has how it has to be. Yes. It got to a point that it couldn't be ignored any longer. It was absolutely necessary. So I'm going to ask the mean question. Well, we'll, we'll try it this way. We've touched on this thing of the plan A and the plan B, and it is mentioned in the paper, I mean, but it'd be good if, if we went through with what that pr process of what happened, why it went that way. And I'm curious because even in the paper, it says like the, I, the ICSP, the, the International Committee on Systematics of Prokaryotes, for those at home, they rejected the proposal. So why would they reject the proposal? It seems like such a good idea. So yeah, so can we talk about plan A, plan B, and then what was the basis of, if you can, if you can tell us what was the basis of that rejection? So as a short summary of the plan A, plan B, as we said, the current code of nomenclature for prokaryotes, which is the International Code of Nomenclature for Prokaryotes, is the ICNP. And that absolutely requires at the moment that you have cultivated pure cultures of your strains deposited in two culture collections for a name to be validated. And under the plan A path, the ideal would have been to modify that existing code to also accommodate uncultivated organisms by specifying that as nomenclatural type, we can either use peer cultures, or genome sequence data. So that was the initial plan A route, which I think most people would have preferred a single code of nomenclature that actually allowed us to use either type of nomenclatural type, depending on what's appropriate for your organism. Plan B, on the other hand, is what we ended up doing, and that was to actually establish a new code of nomenclature that would be operated specifically by using genome sequence data at the moment, but DNA sequence data as the umbrella term, or sequence data probably as the umbrella term, as nomenclatural types for being able to name organisms. So this, this didn't happen overnight, right? So as Marika pointed, pointed out, this has been a long time in the, in the making. Of course, already discussions about this started in the early 2000s, Basically, since the, the requirement was used for these two culture representatives, the culture representatives in two culture collections, it was formally proposed first in two papers in 2015 
one by Hedlund, Brian Hedlund et al., and another one by Costos Constantinidis and Ramon Roselomora, where they try to modify the concept of candidate to incorporate SAGs and MAGs and to give them priority. Then it was formally proposed as a modification of the ICMP in two papers by Barney Whitman in 2015 and 2016. And with the existence of those proposals by Barney Whitman, the, it, it was process of discussion within the ICSP was kicked off. And it was in, until 2020, so four or five years later, that they finally held a vote on it. And the vote was no. So, so it, it took some time to get the discussion going and to get an answer. And the answer was no. And the, all the rationale behind that is published in a, in a paper by, by Ian Sutcliffe in 2020. Ian Sutcliffe et al., other, other members of the, of the ICSP, where, where the, the whole alley and the discussion was, was sized. But in brief, since we got a no, we needed, we, we got no recourse. Right, we got no recourse there, and so the only alternative was to propose a parallel system that was discussed again with at length with the community in different workshops. We we had workshops that in total included registrants in the hundreds. I believe it was something like over eight hundred, yes. over eight hundred registrants from forty-two different countries. So this was an, a wide discussion with the community for the proposal of this of this final set of rules and recommendations that. Form the SIG code. And I would also like to add that it's probably worth noting that even though we mentioned several of the initial starting team of the SIG code steering committee are actually members of the ICSP in various capacities. In all of these cases, and even for the SIG code steering committee when we started off with it, in all of these cases, it's a committee or a group of people with varying viewpoints and very different philosophies on things. So even though some of the members who are fully in support of the C code are on the ICSP, ultimately the vote that gets cast or the, the, the decision that gets made is a majority vote. And even if we have several people that are fully supportive of using DNA or sequence data as nomenclature types in the ICSP, there was still the majority that didn't approve that that suggestion or that that recommendation so ultimately the no was a majority decision and that is why there's various things in the c code which some of us might not be like fully in support of every single point in the document but ultimately it's a majority vote on specific efforts and that is the result that gets put forward yeah so this is just incredible that you guys have had this kind of collaboration some people are when they get into publishing they're competitors and some people are collaborators and you guys have really have really done a good job i think it's been a major effort probably on all players involved in the in the decision making but it has been again there there are various points that everyone on the committee isn't necessarily on agree in agreement with but yeah i think we can we can move forward despite having differences in opinion on certain things. By the way, it hasn't been always easy to pull, put, to push forward this discussion with so many varied viewpoints. And honestly, it's not even easy to meet because we have time zones 
all the way from Pacific time to Brisbane time. So even meeting is hard, but it has been a very rewarding process for Absolutely. sure. So let's, I've been skirting around it, but there is for, for Miguel and myself, this odd oddity that there's the palindromic system, which basically, while we've said that members of the traditional code are, are you know, working together, this is something totally out of left field that Miguel and I were involved with. And how do we reconcile that <laughs> just as a matter of point? Yes. So to give a little bit of context to your listeners, Mark Pollan, Nabil, and myself have this recent paper where we proposed arbitrarily formed names for 65,000 tags currently described on the basis of ETDB's methods for which genomes exist and for which maybe some representative isolates may exist. We don't know. So there is that, that is something that is not necessarily a beloved product within the SIG code. There is a group of people within the SIG code that strongly disagree with this kind of what the, the media in the, in the German-speaking world have dubbed a mass baptism, a mass baptism of, of prokaryotes. And so, so this, is, this is an interesting discussion, I think. And as of Right now, there is a, a small part of the SIG code that uh, introduces the requirement for distinguishable roots in the, form, in the formation of names. So that might mean that the names that Mark Pollan, Nabil, and myself have made, at least the majority of them, might not be, might, cannot be validated as of right now under the SIG code. But I myself believe that arbitrary names are perfectly fine so long as names are easily easy to, to remember, to, to recall, and they are stable. So there are mechanisms in the C code that allow also for modifications of the code itself. Hopefully that's something that, that we can use in the near future. So I... I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with all of the arguments within the, the larger team or disagree with various aspects, but I can give some insight into some of the arguments as to why some people might not be in favor of this mass baptism, as Miguel said. So I think the, the first issue that many people felt is pretty important in terms of the use of data that was not generated so so naming on mass might prevent the naming by people who are actually working on specific organisms or co-cultures or generated genomes that they're still in the process of studying and some of them might actually be trying to actively cultivate those organisms and ultimately try to validate names that they assign to those organisms under the ICNP as opposed to, so there would be people with data in the databases that wouldn't even be in support of the C code. So on this mass baptism front, it doesn't differentiate between where the data comes from and whose data you're using ultimately to get to that point of naming. So there are of course a lot of arguments where there's more than enough data out there and there would be enough data for everyone to work with. And as we're generating new data, it might not be a problem, but I think that's also, as far as I understand why there was 
mention made that there would be a delay in trying to register these names if the C code were to be changed to actually allow arbitrarily formed names. And then there's also an argument for the memorability of the names themselves. So there are arguments to be made that when words refer to a specific thing, whether it is an arbitrarily made name, but is rooted in something that we as humans can associate with a specific meaning, that those names tend to be more memorable than randomly made names. So there is an argument for that as well. And I think those are probably the two main arguments. There are also some of the people on the various committees that feel that mass naming isn't particularly useful and that names should only be assigned to organisms that we're actively studying or getting a better understanding of. So that's one of the arguments as well. And as I said, I might be in agreement or disagreement with various points, but I think those are probably the three main arguments against the, the mass baptism as far as I have them. That's fine with me. I'm not going to say anything after that. I, I will give our statement from the discussion that we aren't proposing these as to have any priority and if anyone has a better name and they do work on it they're more than welcome to replace them that's that's not an issue it is coming back to a again this practical thing of and if you go to the paper there's some of what the gddb ids look like they're pretty impronounceable and pretty unmemorable to, to just sort of have an easier handle. That, that's the way I see it, but I'm fairly pragmatic. Mark might have a more stronger view of what how things should be done, but that's my take on, on it. As somebody outside of this nomenclature system, or, or both of them, are you guys incentivized to, to give a, a sort of kosher name to, I guess I'm mixing religions with the baptism? With the, it makes um... the victim, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> are you incentivized to give like a, a kosher name to to one of the mass baptism species or, or whatever you want to call them so that it gets imported to C code if if there's more like if somebody's studying one particular thing would they want to give it a better name from your system and just import it to C code in the right way ultimately i think that the way that the names were formed currently means that there isn't necessarily distinguishable roots from any language so those names wouldn't be able to be registered and validated under the C code as it currently stands. Unless the C code is modified, right? To, Unless to, the C code is modified. Remove that. And, and, and by the way, that, that allowing for arbitrary names is something that all other code, code of nomenclature out there does. This is, this is unique to, to C code and, and it was introduced out of an abundance of caution, trying to make the C code a little bit more conservative before it's taken up by the community. But, but hopefully now that we have the governance structures in place, then the community can, can start chiming in and, and deciding what is best for, the, for moving forward the, 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 the discipline. And yes, I completely agree with uh, with uh, Nabil that if even even in the absence of distinguishable root from a language from a, an existing language, something like SICC09 or B1 said 10-29 is way harder to remember than something than something like Afabana or Oferarcota. 
So Afabana is it's it's a word that sounds like it could exist. So so we're just bringing it into existence. <laughs> I I don't know if I if I also mentioned it clearly enough earlier, but along with the with the arguments for some people feeling that all organisms don't necessarily deserve a name until we actually start studying them. There's an element to the argument that having an alphanumeric identifier, like Miguel just said, as opposed to a name, makes it obvious that those might be good candidates for studying if you were to want to do a taxonomic study. Again, I'm not necessarily in, in agreement with that, but that is one of the elements of the argument. You're both being incredibly diplomatic, and I'm sure people can then appreciate the amount of someone could appreciate how the actual discussions were behind closed doors in the, in the C code group, because you're both being very, very diplomatic here on the podcast. I will mention that what I think we, we're all allied in, in the effort, in, in essence, even though this paper kind of goes things in a different way, in that trying to point out that if you have 65,000 possible taxa sitting out there in the, in the wide world, the traditional method of culturing 65,000 of them and putting them in a repository is not really going to make much sense. And th that's really the, the, the wider matter around this, this publication for me as well. And I think we can agree, at least everyone in this group here can agree on that. Listeners might be out there saying like, no, you can't. And we'll actually discuss that sort of problem in a minute. Actually, we should probably get onto to that sort of issue just to wrap up. But before that, I had a funny technical problem. Technical problem. So we're saying about a genome. You need a genome, right? As your as your as your sort of holotype, I guess. But how much genome do you need? Can I just give you like 16s and just be done with it? Or so do you like? <laughs> the the there's actually an entire there's going to be an entire standards working group it, or there is an entire standards working group within the governance structures. So we started off with uh, pretty high standards in terms of what would be required to serve as nomenclatural type, which were which is more than ninety percent completeness and less than five percent contamination. But this can be estimated with whatever method is appropriate for your organisms or whichever favorite algorithm for estimating completeness or, or contamination is yours that you would like to use. Ultimately, there was also a very large discussion on whether 16S should be absolutely required in the genome as opposed to recommended, because we obviously know that there's a lot of information associated with the 16S, and that allows actual existing 16S taxonomies and genome-based taxonomies to kind of be able to cross-talk, if you will. Ultimately, just the 16S would not be accepted as an nomenclatural type in the C code as it is. And we also have that the 16S needs to be recommended but not required because we know with actual binning of metagenome assembled genomes, there might be difficulties in actually recovering accurate 16A sequences for your particular organism of interest. And rather than force that as a requirement where someone might go fishing for a 16S and associate an incorrect 16S with a genome, we decided to leave that as a recommendation through a majority vote again. Ultimately, the way that the C code is written currently, those requirements on genome quality 
is kind of seen as an appendix to the C code. And that's what we're currently going with in terms of quality standards. But potentially in the future, depending on the groups that are being worked with or depending on what would be appropriate methods for species circumscription in some organisms, that could potentially be adjusted depending on the group. But ultimately, this would be something that is established downstream. We anticipate not soon. For example, some, some obligate intracellular parasites might be really difficult to obtain a full genome for, but you can easily get like a couple of housekeeping, 10 housekeeping genes or something, potentially depending on the different committees within the governance structure that could be up for consideration as potential nomenclature types. But we're definitely not there yet. So currently we're at the point that we really want very high quality genomes as nomenclature types to ensure that we're not introducing too much flexibility that would end up breaking down as opposed to building up this, this system. I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's this sort of, you're being very conservative in what's included. And this extends back to, the, to including the, the names, because once you let trash into your database, you can't get it out. So it's exactly. really good to hear. Yeah. And then, Nabil, you prefaced your question by saying it was a technical issue, and I would like to address the technical part of it. And technically, we are currently not able to accurately estimate completeness or contamination for many taxa. We, we can pro provide some estimates on the basis of, for example, presence or absence of some conserved genes, which is the approaches that CHECKM1, CHECKM2, and MIGA all implement. But definitely, there are taxa for which that just doesn't work, right? We have we have deep branching taxa like the organisms in the CPR and pathocybacteria or pathocybacteriota. We have also we have also endosymbionts that have highly reduced genomes and that are really for real missing genes that we don't expect any bacteria or archaea to be missing. And we also then have the problem the piploid bacteria, right? We, we have these fantastic new reasons that are, have been described, like Tio Margarita Magnifica, for example, where we have so many coexisting genomes, basically, so many chromosomes, not always identical within the same cell. So we can realistically obtain estimates of 1000% contamination for a perfectly good, well-complete genome. So that's why we have set up this dynamic structure of review on, on the shoulders of the standards committee, standards working group. And, and that being said, the actual act of registering your, your name in the C code registry requires you to add those estimates at the moment into your registration. But there's also room for if whatever reason your organism doesn't get estimated accurately in terms of completeness or con contamination of whatever methods would be employed, there's space to actually describe that to the curators of the registry themselves. And ultimately those decisions then gets, if it's, if it's significant enough, it would probably go towards the reconciliation commission and the standards working group to be discussed. Alternatively, if it's a small enough consideration that needs to be made then the curators can ultimately discuss that and make a decision on it. There's one little topic I wanted to get to for the last couple of minutes. I wanted to ask one of the classic problems with 
taxonomy and nomenclature historically is this issue of providing accuracy of taxonomy and naming, and then the practicalities and the history we have of descriptions based off things in the real world, so clinical presentations and things like that. So how, I don't know, based off what you're describing, C-Code at the moment probably isn't directly running into this problem yet, but do you see this as an issue coming up? Is there some future proofing in mind if you see it as a problem to, to address this issue? The, the way I see it, the C-Code is in fact preemptively providing a solution to that potential. Because if we run into that issue of, for example, describing new taxa that may have clinical or environmental implications that can run into regulatory issues, for example, and those names are provide, are proposed as candidate's names, uh, the regulatory agencies will not have a way of stably referring to those taxa and uniquely referring to those taxa, which is important. It's important for, for regulatory agencies. So the way I see it, the fact that names can actually, for names of uncultured organisms or uncultured prokaryotes, can have priority and can be stable even in the absence of a culture of a, of a culture representative under the seek code is the future proving your your i believe you're asking for yeah and additionally because because your actual taxon delineation process is based on the genome the genome the core genome at least and the genome as a whole that serves as a type is it going to change going forward so it could be a system where biovars or pathovars or things gates assigned to specific organisms based on their accessory genomes but their actual taxonomic placement in terms of phylogenomics is not going to differ over time so that kind of provides a little bit more stability than what we've seen historically in cultivated microbes. And, and, and by the way, pathovars, serovars, biovars, all of that is not really regulated until under either the ICMP yes. or the C code. But currently, already regulatory agencies use genomes or at least parts of genomes to define these groups that are that are being regulated. So it is already happening. It is already being based on, on, on genomes. So the last question we had, just to close up, is are we going to see some seek code accession codes in publications? And how do we recognize a seek code minted name versus, versus the others? Yeah, so maybe I can answer that. The seek code has a, has a provision for how to report lists, what we call register lists in publications and it's we we assign a unique accession number that is prefixed by code slash and then an, 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 an alphanumeric that is just meant to provide a, a uniform way of referring to that list that might contain one or more names we of course encourage people to report that accession number in their publications just like people already report the accession numbers of for example genomes in in, in genome collection in genome repositories and databases or metagenomes or sequence sequences in the sequence read archive for example and for your the second part of your question how do you distinguish them so there there is there is a two prone answer to that the first one is that in common usage names will be in principle undistinguishable just like 
names of plants are in principle undistinguishable from names of animals or names of prokaryotes. It's just a Latin or Latinized binomial name that is italicized and that's it. That's it, right? There is no way of distinguishing between them unless you know more about that taxon. In the formal in the formal reporting of, of a name, we recommend a specific way of referring to types, to nomenclatural types. In the ICMP, the recommendation is to use superscript capital T. We recommend using a superscript capital TS, just to make that distinction of what, what nomenclatural type is described under ICMP versus under C code. But again, that's only for formal description of, of or or formal citing of, of names, which is, for example, very commonly used in the taxonomic world in, for example, phylogenetic trees, right? You will see in phylogenetic trees some strain with capital T and now see also strains or genomes with capital TS. And I think this would be particularly useful for papers that have names that they that are either validated under the ICMP themselves or that the authors intend to validate under the ICMP and names validated under the C code. So in those cases, you would be easily able to differentiate between the ones that we have cultures for in the ICMP as a superscript T and the ones that we have genomes for that would serve as a nomenclature type being indicated with a TA superscript. Many thanks for coming along today and having a chat with us. Today, we've been talking about systematics, specifically seq code, which is a nomenclature code for naming prokaryotes described from sequence data. And talking to us has been Marika Palmer and Miguel Rodriguez. And you've been with Lee and Nabil today, and this is the MicroBinfi podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. Follow us on Twitter at MicroBinfi. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrum Institute.